Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 213 of the Spoiler Alert Podcast, brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. This is Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we'll be discussing the new 14 years in the making sequel, The Incredibles 2, written and directed by Brad Bird and starring John Ratzenberger. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm doing great, Danny. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Good. I, you know... We got more Incredibles in our life. This yeah, is something fun yeah. to talk about. That's right. Yeah, long, and long time coming. Long time coming. A lot of pent up demand. Clearly translating to the box office. This movie came out and not only set the new box office record for an animated feature, which had previously been held by Toy Story, Toy Story Three. What was it? I don't know. What was it? Toy Story 3. Finding Dory. I just Finding like, Dory. Right. You're just randomly shouting names. <laughs> That's great. Um, Finding Dory held the record at $135 million. This one came out and got $182 million Okay. its opening weekend, so crushed the all-time animated opening. In fact, scored a top 10 opening weekend of all time Man. in the U.S. So clearly a lot of people interested in seeing this one, and that's got to be great news for Brad Bird. He's the writer-director. He um, has done very well historically. He did The Iron Giant, which has been over time sort of regarded as a as a great film. It wasn't a super huge commercial success. Sure. But then he had The Incredibles. He did Ratatouille. His first live-action film was the Mission Impossible um, Ghost Protocol, which okay. was uh, was well-received. And then he stumbled a couple of years ago with Tomorrowland. Did you ever Which see I that liked, with George yeah. Clooney? Yeah, I like that movie. Oh, you did? did okay. we, didn't we? Didn't we podcast that one? I think Maybe. We did. I think we. We, can, we don't did. fact check, so we'll have to. So, somehow, fondly, I, I re- recall the movie. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I, I have a soft spot for it as well. It just it didn't do very well, and so I think there was a lot of. Huh. I wonder how Brad Bird's gonna do, and is he is he just going back to the well here because he just stumbled, and maybe it's time for him to go back to a proven formula and uh, revisit and so the past hit. This film's been in production since Tomorrowland wrapped up, and that was a few years ago. Oh yeah, I mean these movies take a long time. In fact, when you saw Incredibles two in the theater, did it start with like a one minute? kind of intro video with the, the voice cast? Uh, yes, it did. It started with a one, like where Holly Hunter and, and Craig T. Nelson were talking about how it's been so long since we've done this. Yes. And and actually at Alamo Drafthouse prior to that, they did a five minute recap of just in case you forgot what happened in the first Incredibles 14 years ago and oh, hits wow. the highlights and takes you up to the last minute and a half of the movie so that you can have a refreshed mind going into it. But then they do the previews. Then they cut to the one-minute intro. And um, then, then then there was the short film as well. And then you actually got the start. So I had forgotten what happened in The Incredibles in between the recap and then <laughs> the, the Incredibles <laughs> right, right. 2 happening. By that point, I'd already had a, a pizza and a beer. Is that something that they do... Alamo Drafthouse for for all sequels? No, no. This I think oh. this they they always have some sort of really cool, kitschy, fun tie-in to the movie that you're about to see as part of their ad-free preview, which I really appreciate. No commercials. It's just all actual entertainment leading up to it. But I think this one being a unique, this is a sequel a long time in the making, made a a, a cool intro video for everybody ahead of time. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's get into it, and I'll start with a a high-level plot recap for those who have yet to rush out and see Incredibles 2. 
This sequel picks up with the Parr family literally seconds after the first film ended. So it's been 14 years for all of us. It's been a matter of moments for them. If those of you who didn't get the five-minute overview from the Elmo Draft House, uh, you may recall that the end of the original film, the Parr family is wrapping up a track meet that Dash just took second place. And the uh, the city, I, what is the name of the city? Municiburg? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, their city is attacked by the Underminer, voiced by John Ratzenberger. Uh, and this movie kicks off right at that point. The family leaps into action and works to try and subdue the Underminer and try to save the day. Well, of course, they are less than successful and their exploits actually lead to a huge, disastrous... Uh, amount of destruction and uh, infrastructure damage across the city and supers are still at this point outlawed and the uh, the police and authorities are, are very frustrated with them the public just sort of wants them to go away with one major exception and that is with Winston and Evelyn Deaver who are voiced by Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener uh, who lead a telecommunications company which had been started by their father and who had a huge uh, amount of love, affinity, and trust in Supers back in the day before he and his wife's deaths. And the Deavers go about putting together a PR campaign to try and jumpstart uh, public trust and get people excited about Supers again. And they enlist Holly Hunter's Elastigirl, uh, Helen Parr, uh, as sort of their chief their chief candidate and the focus of the campaign. So they set off with Elastigirl trying to put her into action videotape and, and, and broadcast her exploits while Mr. Incredible stays at home with the kids trying to help Dash with his math homework, raise Jack-Jack the baby, and uh, trying to help their daughter Violet navigate adolescence and uh, dating. Yeah. Needless to say, things get crazy. The Supers are called into action. The children get a chance to suit up. And the Incredibles save the day. Great summary. Great plot yeah. recap. Yeah. What did you think? I had a lot of fun with the movie. I think I thought that it was really enjoyable. It, it, uh, it I think it's going to suffer from a 14-year hiatus. That's uh, a sequel to a movie that was an instant classic. I, I mean, I don't think there's any other way to describe The Incredibles. It was a fantastic, brilliant movie. And when you do any sequel to a movie like that, there's high expectations. When you wait 14 years to make a sequel to that, there's... 14 times the expectations and I think that it doesn't quite live up to that. That said, this is a movie that I really enjoy in the summer. I'm, I'm super bummed. I didn't take my kids to it because they were going to go with their swim team and now it turns out the date of that event, neither of them could can go to it now and I would have loved to have taken them over the weekend. So I waited until last night to see it. I wish I could have watched it with them. I, I had a lot of fun with it. How about you? I really enjoyed it as well. I do think it is a very good movie. I agree that I don't necessarily think the 14-year gap uh, is an issue, but I wholeheartedly agree that it will suffer in comparison to the original, which is probably a top 10 film for me. I agree it was an instant classic. There's almost literally nothing I don't love about the original yeah. movie. And so if this had been the first one, I think this would have been a huge hit, a great film, and then it, the second one, right, if if, if the, their order were reversed, we'd have like a Godfather part two on our hands. Instead, this just feels like, OK, the, there's so much to like about this one. It's just not quite as spectacular as the first one. Yeah. OK. So 
I still really enjoyed it. What are some of the things you particularly liked about it? Well, I have to say, first off, again, I, it, it's so obvious to say with a Pixar computer animated film, but the visuals are just absolutely incredible in a movie like this. and it, Incredible. And they were incredible in the first one. Yet, I didn't go back to rewatch this leading up to the film. I got my little two-minute plot recap before before the feature and and I generally remember it but I'm I'm sitting there watching it just kind of you know jaw dropped at how spectacular the technology looks in a movie like this and the animation has evolved and I have to think with the changes in technology that happened over the last 14 years it must make it look like if you popped in the Incredibles original now it would be like watching it on VHS and this is like watching it on Blu-ray I I can't believe that The Incredibles looked as beautiful as this film did on screen. It was really awesome. You know, the original Incredibles was a a bit of a gamble for Pixar in that it was their first film to feature an all-human cast, right? All the characters were human as opposed to anthropomorphized toys or fish or monsters or whatever. And so I think the gutsiness here is you're right that the technology has clearly advanced whether it's just the the actual graphics that we're used to looking at, but the cinematography and everything about this movie looks like a million dollars. And to set it 10 seconds after the original ends and sort of pick up is gutsy. Yeah. Because I right. think it's going to make that, that comparison really stark. But the characters look very similar t- to how they looked last time. They but I, I agree. I think if we looked at them side by side, you watched them back to back, you'll notice that they look different. It's just like if you hadn't realized that your eyesight was failing and then you got glasses and you put the glasses on and saw what the crispness was supposed to look like on street signs or whatever that's sort of how this felt to me in the second I was was really blown away by that and I I guess another thing that I just love about the movie is the attention to detail that they put into every little scene and, and one that kind of made me gasp a little bit as as minor as it was that I had to jot down was the scene where Elastigirl is at is calling home from her hotel room and uh, she lays down on the bed and next to the bed you see a essentially discarded room service tray like you can see the plate of you know almost fully eaten sandwich and something else and the the crumbs on the plate and the silverware off to the side and as somebody who travels frequently for work it's a site that I'm well acquainted with and there's nothing spectacular about this scene at all but man they don't miss a detail in the background of any scene in these movies and not just this Pixar in general that always blows me away you know both of the the items you brought up first here the attention to detail and the visuals I I would wholeheartedly agree and I take a step further one of the things I loved about the original film that's carried on here is the attention to detail and the the attention to visuals and the look and aesthetic of the film of this like 1960s retro futuristic vibe you know if you remember in the first one the whole uh volcanic island where syndrome lived is straight out of like a bond movie but but amped to like 15 on a 1 to 10 scale and the same thing here like the the house that the pars live in that the devers have allowed them to borrow is this totally awesome 
contemporary. Kitschy. Yeah, it's got like a the sunken waterfalls. Den. And, yeah, yes, right. but like it's every single sequence has that type of fanaticism, that type of like over the top investment in the culture and in the look and feel they're going for. Yeah, I, it's like so complete. It's mind boggling. I also have to give huge props to the voice talent. This is a great cast. I mean, um, Holly Hunter and Craig T. Nelson do so well as Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. And Samuel L. Jackson as Frozone is terrific. Uh, Bob Odenkirk is a brilliant addition. And his character of Winston Deaver is this world-class salesman and he just reeks of Saul Goodman. Totally, yeah. From I, the, Better Call the instant Saul he walks in, Bad. you know exactly who this is. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but, but on the downside, one thing that really kind of broke my heart is there's a character in the, the movie called named Dicker. He's the like government agent who helps hide the supers. And the guy who did his voice in the original movie was a guy named uh, Bud Lucky. And Bud passed away this year in 2018. And so Dicker is the first character that we hear speak in this new movie, and it's very clearly not mm. Bud Lucky. So it just was sort of like, oh, uh, like you knew, I, you know, two words in, I'm like, oh, it's not him. He must have died. And I actually did fact check because I was curious. Yeah. So I was all bummed until he said his third word, and I realized it was Jonathan Banks, who's also from Breaking Bad and, and Better Call Saul. Right. So it's sort of a cute you know, mini reunion for he and, and yeah. Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks great. The cast is great. And the music is phenomenal. Again, it Michael really Giacchino's is. score just nails it a second time out of the gate. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of percussion. I mean, it's sort of different than the oceans eight score of the movie that we just reviewed, but some similar components of that too. I thought that it, it really rocked throughout. I also got to give props to a scene that, I found really chilling and very exciting and frightening. It's a scene where Elastigirl uh, is trying to track down the screen slaver, this this off-screen yep. villain, using a, a beam tracking device. And so you've got the screen slaver broadcasting to the world via the airwaves while Elastigirl's trying to track her down. And you just hear, hear this really ominous, chilling sort of anarchy... Manifesto from the Screenslaver over the airwaves while Elastigirl keeps trying to track him down throughout the city. And she's running through the city trying right. to find him and gets a little closer and gets a little closer. And it was it was kind of reminiscent of one of the Nolan Batman movies. I thought it was really, really prescient and and frightening and an exciting scene. That is an exciting scene, but it also drives home and one thing I would point out to listeners who've yet to see the movie is I feel like the original Incredibles is perfect for almost any age. I've got young kids. I've got a, a five-year-old and 11-year-old. The five-year-old loves the Incredibles. They both do. But the second movie here, I feel like, was made for kids who were five when they saw the original and have aged. So even though this movie takes place immediately after it, I feel like the themes are more appropriate for slightly older viewers. I feel like some of the scenes get honestly scarier than sure. the original, yeah. as well as it the plot, and we'll get to maybe some things that weren't perfect. The plot is a little more convoluted, and my five year old was was just more confused. She had to ask me a lot more often than normal, like what is happening and why is this happening? Because she just honestly couldn't follow it. And the eleven year old 
could follow it, but even then it was a bit of a push during certain sequences. So the one you're you're mentioning, it was creepy, it was ominous, it got a little a little too intense because it's followed by a pretty intense fight scene. And, like a, in the and dark, a bomb and about it, to explode in an apartment building. <laughs> and the apartment she goes into, it's almost like out of seven. Yeah. Right? right. Like I mean, it's just a really creepy bad guy apartment, and this big knockdown drag out fight ensues, and I just thought, this is a little intense for for younger kids. So I, I just sort of warn people if you're gonna take the family, just know going in that your younger ones might struggle a little bit to keep up, to stay engaged, and there's some scarier parts. It it feels a little more adult, and I think and I think that the number one thing that then I disliked is the fact that it, this is almost trying to check every social, current, political issue on the checklist in one movie. You've got a group of people in society that are oppressed and somebody's trying to help them. You've got social media and surveillance via the video cameras on their bodies, sort of a little too much like The Circle, which we reviewed Last year, you've got women as the primary breadwinner in the house becoming an important issue. You've got government is bad, but every single one of these things, aside from maybe the the mom being the primary breadwinner in the house, all of those other things I mentioned get a like a five minute sort of snippet in the movie, but they're kind of muddled and sort of throwaway. And I would compare it to a documentary that you would watch and you'd be interested in the issue that they're trying to talk about. But then they just veer into 15 things and you don't know what you're supposed to do at the end. Like, yeah. what what did this exactly cover by the end? So I always watch the documentaries that are nominated for Oscars. And every year there's always one that I kind of leave scratching my head with. Like... You know, for 30 minutes, you focused on something that was giving me a message. And at the end, I didn't quite get what the message was and yeah. who the bad guys are. And, and I sort of feel like this went there. And and I know that we're talking about an animated superhero movie here. But I feel like this is an elevated animated movie. And I think that it's an elevated superhero movie. I think that this is a, a, a high notch above a lot of films that we see in this genre. And I think that the plot got really muddled and weird that way. I wholeheartedly agree. It's the it's the, the the biggest detractor from the film is the first one has such terrific heart, and I feel like this one has some, but it tries to have more thought. It did it did feel like Brad Bird was trying to put in twelve different really important things, and none of them really get the time or attention I think he'd like to give them. So it did have that kind of checklist feel of hot button zeitgeist issues from police body cams to you're right the now the the man is staying home what yeah. you know what's going on you know the the first film not only brought the family together but really let each of the characters experience the joy of being themselves and using their given talents for good right like at at the heart, that's like a that too is a political message but it just was done so naturally. This one, a lot of the themes also touch on that, but it also, especially for Mr. Incredible, get to this kind of uglier place of really wanting credit. I really want I really want the recognition for doing a great job. And that's portrayed both as kind of a gross thing, because he clearly wants recognition, even if it's sort of at his wife's detriment. Right. And then it's a good thing, because she should take credit for her work, because you go, girl. I mean, to a point where two female characters are talking and, and the conversation is basically, you go, girl. You know, you're finally out of his shadow. And it just was like, 
Wow. Yeah. You know, like we, it, it, I could do with less of this and more about whatever Helen Parr, the character, is going through as, as opposed to what the audience is supposedly going through. You're right, right. And I guess I felt like the first one nailed it and this one doesn't yeah, quite I, hit that Yeah, I even jotted down a line that, that was – I can't remember if it was Helen – that said it or not, but it was so simple, even he can do it, referring to dad. And I thought, oh, God, do we need to do the the stupid dads, Mr. Mom, incompetent, can't take care of the kids sort of thing? And then, plus, I, I think the real kicker was, then, like, 36 hours later, he's totally figured it all out. And I'm like, oh, boy, there's going to be an uproar over that, and we're going to have a hashtag, because he was actually able to figure it out. But I, I found that all really annoying, and I thought that if this had, if this had taken place for, in a universe 14 years after the original, maybe I could see how like some of the, the thoughts had evolved on this. But no, it is taking place like five minutes after the original ended, so right. why are they so different as people and what their goals are and what they're trying to do? He was, he was a great supportive husband and dad a minute ago. Why is he so down on his wife? getting the job no, that was it was weird it was weird and and i agree that the sort of dumb dad stupid white guy can't figure anything out felt pretty thin and a little overt but at the same time i i loved those sequences of craig t nelson's mr incredible when he's just so tired yeah. <laughs> I mean, because she's got Jack-Jack, the baby, but, like, we've all been there. Anybody who's a parent has been there with a newborn where, like, you are just – we talked about when we talked about Tully with right. Charlize Theron. We're right. like, you are just abs- absolutely at the end of your rope. You've got nothing left. You don't left. know where you're at. Yeah. You don't know what's going on, and yet the baby wakes up again. Or in this case, yep, now his eight-year-old is asking some questions about decimals. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, you just want to just – Roll out of bed, you know, like right out a window and just die. And you can't. Uh, and, you know, and he and he's Mr. Incredible. He he kept showing up. He kept trying. He stayed up late. He didn't go to bed. You know, like, so I felt like the movie did give him sort of the, it went from this dumb dad to like yeah. gave him some credit. Just like it would give to Mrs. Incredible, who's probably already gone through that, right? Sure. We didn't see that in the prior films. Um, it also, of course, does give us a, the great opportunity to have Jack-Jack discover his powers and the sequence of Jack Jack versus the raccoon already has to go down as like a top five <laughs> animated sequence. And and they should have a whole string of short films, if there's any justice in this world, of just Jack Jack and this raccoon. Like as Jack Jack grows, like the raccoon just keeps coming back and it brings more when, friends because it was hilarious. When Jack Jack fights off that raccoon and the raccoon shows back up at the patio window like two minutes later, like ready ready for his second go round. Round two. Yeah. I was I was wiping tears from my eyes. That was yeah. great. Uh, you know, but I think that as as far as superhero movies go, it's it's getting a lot more difficult to give the audience twists and new ideas. And I guess I was just a little surprised because from the moment the sister character is introduced, the Bob Odenkirk character's sister, Catherine Keener, is introduced, I instantly think she's the villain, and she ultimately becomes a villain. And I, I just can't imagine anybody not having telegraphed that from a mile away. And her whole plan, her whole power, is hypnotizing all of her victims. And I just feel like that's the oldest trope in the book. That is what we've seen in in, in these kinds of movies since early Bond days. And so... I know I know that it's getting a little bit critical, but I, I guess in the last 14 years, we've seen a lot of superhero movies. And right. as a result, I don't understand how they could have 
imagine that they'd introduce a lot new. And if they had hoped to, I don't feel like they did. I am on the same page. I thought it was interesting and sort of a good step forward in that this movie had a female protagonist and a female villain. Like, I actually think that, like, tip of the cap that way, although a step back in that they really had to drive that point home and, in fact, have a couple of scenes with the You Go Girls between those characters. But then also a step well, and then, back and in then that the And then Elastigirl, villain, when she's in the final climactic battle scene, picks that other female superhero to help correct. her in the final, right? I mean, like, it was it was all women in this one. Right. Yeah. But, but a step back in that the the female villain's plan is just really bad. Like it is, it is really overly convoluted. Like her plan is to help her brother devise a PR strategy to promote supers, which are already illegal, but then he wants to get them to become not illegal. And then at the last minute, she's going to do something that'll make everyone hate supers so much that they stay illegal. But she also already has the power to enslave everybody instantly. So couldn't she just enslave everybody and say, don't change your minds about supers? And then that's the end of it? Like, I just didn't get, like, they're already illegal. She's already won. She's she's fighting for status quo, not to change the world. And it seems like a lot of trouble to go through to build this whole PR campaign and do all that she's doing and create a separate villain and this whole master plan when... All she's got to do is kind of sabotage her brother's effort, which there's a trillion easier ways to do that. What's up with the fact that this movie frequently uses, like, strobe light effects to emphasize the hypnotism point and people are having seizures in the movie theater right. all weekend long. Like this is this is bad PR. You need to you need to throw up a warning on that. And I, I've now heard that Disney is putting up a warning once you're in the theater before the movie. Can you imagine taking your kids to the movie and sitting down and you've got your forty dollars worth of concessions, and then that warning comes up and you're like, uh oh, sorry Uh-oh. guys, we need to go. I'm like, seizure prone. Uh, we also, gotta get out of here. Also, you don't get a refund, I'm sure. Theaters don't do that anymore. Well, they might for that reason. Yeah, I'm sure Disney's we'll gonna see. cover that nut. What's up what's with that? Up, what's up with the fact that, especially in the beginning after the Underminer attacks Municiburg, the police are so ticked off at Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl for showing up, right? They, they're just furious that they, they dared to interfere. And they said things like, you know, we have ways to take care of this. What were those ways? Like, I I feel like I wish we would have seen what was society's plan for handling something like the Underminer without the Incredibles that they were so ticked off that the Incredibles showed up because no one else was doing anything. Well, he mentioned insurance, which I thought was a really funny way to be like, we're just going to let them get away with it. Claim this than, you know, capture it back. Like, we'd rather have our premium skyrocket right. than, you know... Have- it just felt like that. their whole argument could have been strengthened if, if we would have seen the the bad guy squad show up or, the you know, the police have a unit. Like, they were really right there ready to capture him, but the Incredibles kind of brush him off. Yeah. I just felt like, well, you, 
there was no alternative. We were the last line of defense. He'd already torn huge holes in the city and destroyed a bunch of buildings and probably killed hundreds of people and robbed the bank. Right. Now, we didn't stop it the way we'd hoped or as cleanly or as quickly, but I didn't see you doing jack over here. I could take a pat on the back for that one. Right, right. Uh, what what's up with how even after Tony has has had his mind wiped of meeting Violet, which actually happens in the first film and then continues into to this movie, but they need to clear his mind of her memories of her of his memories of her because he can't have seen her. That he still keeps forgetting her, like like twice more at the end of the movie. Even after she came to the restaurant with her family and embarrassed the hell out of herself by spitting water through her nose and turning beet red for eight solid minutes, he still can't quite remember. Like, no, dude, you remember her, and you right. told all of your friends the hilarious story of the girl that came in and spit water out of her nose. Like, exactly. Even in a kind way, you'd still remember her. Right. What's up with this movie trying to tick every single one of those like liberal causes that we talked about earlier and, and going so far as to have two Barack Obamas in this movie? <laughs> There's one character who tells uh, Frozone that he's his biggest fan who's clearly a young Barack Obama. Right. <laughs> and then later in the film, we get the salt and pepper. It's like, I need a young Barack and an old Barack. <laughs> this movie had both. And I thought, What's up with that? <laughs> Buddy, are you ready for five questions? I believe that I am. Please bring it right. in. We've got five listener-submitted questions on The Incredibles 2. Question number one. Brad Bird stated over the years that he would only do a sequel if he could come up with a story that's just as good or better than the original. Did he succeed? I'm going to say no, but I believe he had a lot of good ideas I felt like maybe after 14 years, he kept adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. And if you stripped out some of those subplots, there's probably okay. just an amazing idea here. So maybe he started with it and he just got carried away. Okay. All right. Uh, question number two. Superhero movies in the DC, Marvel, and now Pixar universes have examined the consequences of unchecked power. Can we attribute this to the recent Patriot Act backlash? No. Okay. Question number three. Frozone's wife, Honey Best, is again heard but never seen in this sequel, upsetting many that Brad Bird chose to hide an assumed woman of color off screen. Where were these people when Maris Crane, Orson from Orc, and Ugly Naked Guy needed them? Those are all fair points. Yeah. Uh, I did read that they had a character... Like designed and, and that, yes. visualized, and it's just funnier to have her just kind of always shouting from off screen. <laughs> Same with like the mom on uh, the Big Bang Theory. Yes, right. Yes. Some of these characters are just funnier because you don't see them. <laughs> yes, and I yeah. so I I love that the guy didn't from show Home up. Improvement, the neighbor Home Improvement. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, question number four. Once you complete all of your best picture films, could you please review all of Samuel L. Jackson's movies next? I don't know that either of us will live that long. Okay. All right. I gotta say, I love the way his character dressed in this movie, too. I think that when he shows up to oh. babysit the kids, it's just, he looks so fantastic. And that scene where, where he says, what the... And, and there's an assumed, like, slight little F before you you cut off camera. 
was hilarious. That's gotten a little bit of controversy, too. But how can you not have a Samuel L. Jackson role right. where there's not an assumed F-bomb dropped? By the way, did you stay till the end of the credits? I did not. No, so I did leave. I don't I don't think there's a post-credit scene, so that's not what this is. But near the end of the credits, there's the score is playing. And then right near the end, they play a theme song for Elastigirl, Mr. Incredible, and one for Frozone. <laughs> and they are all terrific. But okay. the Frozone one is like this total <laughs> funk and there's like background singers saying like he's always so chill from shaft yeah yeah, yeah kind awesome. of it's just awesome. great but all three theme songs are really good <laughs> the cat who's always chill when survival odds are close to Elastigirl's ability to stretch her body must have made birthing her three children a breeze. But do you think it also made conceiving them anything but incredible? Oh, jeez. It's nothing sacred. Can we not just keep Pixar free of this kind of innuendo, listeners? This is going to be a podcast that my daughter is going to ask to listen to because she'll ask right, if we did right. it. Oh, I love and the I'll movie. Be like, Can yeah, I hear We got yeah. to play it. And then I'm going to have to get to the final two minutes and zip through it really quick <laughs> and say, oh, we must add an audio problem. Right. Just blame it on the editing group. <laughs> right, All right, right. Well, right. thanks, listeners. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for the thank questions. Thank you, listeners. Uh, Final final thoughts. I I guess I would say I I like it and would recommend it. I know my wife's looking forward to taking the kids. I've already seen it on my movie pass, so I can't go back with them. I think it is a lot of fun. I think it's definitely a well made movie, and there's a lot to enjoy. It's still some of the action scenes are better than anything you're going to find in a live action comic book movie. Uh, the humor is great. The music is awesome. The visuals look great. It's just not The Incredibles. All right. Well, what do we have coming up next? Coming up next, we've got a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor about Mr. Rogers. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.